Welcome back to the First Money in Podcast, a podcast for knowledge seekers and risk takers. This week, we change it up a little bit and we jump into one deep dive on a story mainly around remote work and COVID and where is everyone moving and why are they moving? How does this change remote work? Is this influence entrepreneurs differently? Does this influence employees differently? We get into the nitty gritty of how your industry can affect that, how quality of life and your financial status, how maybe even the life stage that you're in, how do these things all kind of come into that decision-making process? And we share our own personal stories. And then make sure you stay all the way to the end of the podcast where we talk about our winners, losers, and content. All right, guys, now into the podcast. Welcome back to another episode of the First Money in Podcast, the podcast for knowledge seekers and risk takers. Every other week, we come together to explore recent events in the world of startups, finance, politics, and business. Make sure you give us a follow on Spotify or Apple and share the pod with a friend if you've been enjoying the content. And with that, as always, on this beautiful Saturday morning, I'd like to welcome my two co-hosts, Brandon Smooth Jazz Bryant and Muhan Jung, a.k.a. Mr. COO, the operative himself. Gentlemen, how are we doing today? Pleasure to be What's here. What's going on? Allergies killing me, but you know, nothing's going to stop me from the pot of my besties. <laughs> Love it. Doing well, doing well. You are a trooper. I appreciate you being here, Muhan. And I'm feeling a little extra pep in my step, boys. I just got the second dose of the Pfizer vaccine, so freedom All right. is upon us soon. Woot so we flying now, huh? <laughs> everyone go out, get your vaccine, get your first dose, your second dose. Uh, the more people we can get vaccinated, the quicker we can get back to normal. So mm-hmm. I'm excited. Things are starting to open up in Boston. It's been nice. So with that, um, really excited this week. Uh, we decided to change it up a little bit. Uh, of course, we couldn't make it all the way through season one with just keeping the same old format. We had to experiment. Mm-hmm. I couldn't fathom the, the guys not experimenting a little bit. So here's what we've got in store for you today. We decided that we wanted to go a little bit deeper on a singular topic that has impacted not only all of you in the audience and ourselves, but almost every aspect of our life over the past year. And that is the changing landscape of where Americans choose to live because of this pandemic. Why the pandemic has enabled so many individuals to move to different cities or to the suburbs and how that might shape the future of work, the future of the employee company relationship, and uh, you know certainly the future of society and America in general. And so with that, Brandon, um, I'll turn it to you first. Maybe we start off by talking about just the changing culture of you know, why people moved, where they moved, uh, what your personal observations were from this past year now that we're almost 16 months into this new paradigm shift. Yeah, 16 months in. Um, I think I, it was funny. I was just talking to someone on Friday and they had mentioned that, hey, I didn't really believe in COVID when it first started. I thought we were going to be back in the office in two weeks. And then obviously 16 months later, uh, a lot of people want to just mark off 2020 and just start all over again. But I think that net what COVID has done is proximity, which used to be super uh, like, you know, tier one 
super high priority, number one in, in people's lives is no longer. So being in New York or being in LA or being in a place where you think there's an industry doesn't necessarily matter anymore. It's just because of remote work has kind of taken over and it's even pushed industries, many of industries, 10, 15 years into the future to now start to kind of like adapt technology and adapt opportunities to really focus on employees and what employees want from their employers. And uh, I think I was talking about this with you guys offline, like it's hard to even hire people for hourly jobs, let alone hire them for salary jobs right now. So I think industries are kind of being uh, innovated right now. Quality of life is is number one priority, well over um, proximity, and then even affordability and, and life stage. A lot of folks just probably recently went through their quarter life crisis, and they no, no longer want to work 100 hours a week. They no longer want to pay high rents and just live in a high rise and not have any space. So it's it's turned into people really taking some time and in, in looking at themselves in the mirror to decide what's important to me, what's going to extend my life, what's going to make me happy, what's going to be good for my family. And are there other ways for me to start to make capital or to, to shift and change uh, for the future? And I think the last thing I was going to say here, uh, I think Muhan had mentioned that this is a great COVID sort. Uh, there's a lot of articles coming around where it's saying that this is going to be the biggest time in a decade for people to change jobs like everyone feels like they the ball is in their court and they have ownership and they have all the leverage and they're going to go to places or potentially start opportunities that are going to be best for them and their lifestyle so it's it's up to the employers and it's up to folks to really um, attract great talent but uh, I think for tier two cities tier three cities boomerang so people who are going back to places that they're from net net are going to be positively uh, impacted. And I'm excited about that. And that's for me, right? I was in New York for seven and a half years. And now I'm back in Cleveland. And today I'm going to be looking at some land to potentially build something on. And I never thought I would do this in the 2020s. So um, everyone that net is fast tracked from like 10, 15 years into the future. I think those comments around quality of life, cost of living, being closer to family, also, this past year, giving people the reflection and the opportunity to think about career changes are all really um, important points to call out. Muhan, what have you experienced in your personal, uh, not only community and network, but what are some observations you've seen over the past year? Absolutely. I mean, gentlemen, uh, I borrowed the expression kind of the big sort. I added the word COVID onto it um, to say that in many ways, actually, uh, COVID really accelerated a lot of these trends that we had already been seeing before. So even in how I kind of appropriated that, that term, the big sort, right? Americans have been moving to live closer to people who look like them, similar education to them, similar political systems as them, similar political beliefs as them. And so really this, um, this coming of uh, a tale of two countries has been very slowly but surely progressing in the decades, um, certainly before we were born. And now that we're coming of age and we're, we're helping shape it. And so COVID accelerating that, really is, uh, unfortunately, even among my peer group, this kind of a story of two young people or of two professionals, right? You have those who I do think have been pushed to take that leap further, uh, especially kind of anecdotally, I, I caught up with a friend recently. He was a few years older than me, actually at Boston College, and he is now starting his company. And I told him, I said, hey, man, I'm so happy for you. He's married, has a kid, very young kid. And I said, I'm so happy for you because you've worked in kind of the institutional finance world 
for so long. And I know, I believe that we probably were all whispered the same thing, where the longer you stay in that career track, the more they try to tell you, oh, you need you need to accumulate a little bit more savings, a little bit more experience. Oh, but you have it so good. Rat now. race, oh, bro. The rat race, the rat race. And so mm-hmm. for him, I am so happy. I, I, I literally told him, I said, hey, like, could not be more happier for you. This is the last thing I expected, but please, whatever I can do to help. He is very much the exception. The vast majority in my experience are all now uh, hunkering down a little bit more. Now, that is not to say that there is not a net gain of individuals who I think are accelerating the buying of the land, the taking of the entrepreneur opportunity. The For me, certainly in my professional experience, I did not think that I would be uh, self-employed and running a creator economy and business until I had FU money. <laughs> like, I thought that was significantly getting farther down the road. But really having that time to think and say like, okay, cool. I've just done this thing. What do I want to do now? Um, a lot of the rules have been tossed up, right? You have this big COVID sort and it's almost like musical chairs. Still, we're figuring out where it's going to land for cities, for companies, for employees. And I'll say this last thing just to tie that thread up. Um, but I really, will love, I really loved what Brandon said. I do think that this idea of if you're going to compete with a commodity job of the 20th century, you're going to be on the losing side of history because even our production is no longer one size fits all. Right. Like this century and this decade is all about customization, all this data, knowing how to provide just more custom tailored long tail goods. And so that inevitably to me means the, the production inputs also have to become more flexible and in, in, in kind of in its most uh, simple size, that is what the creator economy is. You're getting these individuals who are actually, myself included, monetizing their quirks, their idiosyncrasies, because it it ends up being a higher trust and a higher individual good. I agree with that, Muhan. And I think the, what are you calling it? The the big sort? I'm calling it the COVID sort. The COVID sort. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) I feel like this is the movie in the making here. I totally agree, by the way, with the dynamic. I will admit, though, and I think our audience recognizes this, the three of us come from a, a position of, of privilege in this specific category. The, the COVID pandemic in the last year and a half has, has accelerated the haves and the have-nots. And I, I never want to divide groups and, and, and make it uh, people pit against each other. But I'll give you one example. I was reading an interesting article yesterday that talked about the percentage of books in the U.S. that is bought from Amazon versus from local mom and pop shops. Pre-March uh, 2020, it was about 35% Amazon. Currently, it's 65%. And so what I think that acceleration shows you is that if you were well entrenched, if you had financial resources, uh, diversified revenue and credit streams, you were digitally and technologically savvy, the past year and a half has been very advantageous for you. And if you were an individual employee in any of those companies, or if you, to your point, Muhan, made a career shift into any of those industries, the last year and a half has been very fruitful for you. But likewise, there are a lot of people that are making career transitions right now that maybe didn't want to make career transitions. They were a single restaurant owner in downtown New York City. They owned a mom and pop bookstore in a small suburb. Those uh, individuals, unfortunately, have had a very tough year. But what I love about the American spirit and the um, power of this country is the, is opportunity, is the freedom to go out and pursue your dream. And so, Muhan, I completely agree. Now is the time to self-reflect and think about, 
if you want to go down a different path, whether you did that of your own volition or whether circumstantially you were kind of forced to, now is a perfect opportunity to do that. And I think people are moving. They're, they're physically getting up and moving. So let's actually talk about that for a second, where people are moving and where they're going. And, and, and that'll segue nicely into uh, the future of work and that relationship between employees and companies. So I want to share two uh, things that I, I've, I've studied and, and kind of uh, begun to understand with you guys recently. The first is this idea that 80% of people that are moving aren't actually leaving their zip code. How crazy is that? Only 20% of people are actually crossing zip code lines. So what does that say? I think that is a predominantly um, redistribution of folks from downtown city centers to metro areas, right? You don't have to be in the downtown of Boston or New York or San Francisco anymore. You can just be on the outside here in Brookline or maybe or, in Westchester. Or vice versa. Or vice, vice versa, versa right? potentially. I moved That's from true. being downtown Brooklyn. I lived above the Barclays Center. Or I guess, or I mean, my mom might also move from the from the suburbs to downtown. And I'm recruiting people from Cleveland to, hey, don't stay in the suburbs, move downtown, because if that brings more people to downtown for a tier two and tier three city, that's going to net net make us more competitive with Philadelphia, with yep. Miami, with Denver, with uh, Atlanta, which is where everyone who who is actually moving across this country to 20 percent are going to go. That's that's a very fair statement, and I think it's the inverse depending on what city you are and, and where you are, right? Like, there's probably a net outflow from New York and L.A. and SF, but to your point, for those up-and-coming growth cities, Atlanta, Cleveland, Columbus, St. Louis, there's probably more inflow into downtown. So I think that's really interesting. Where are people moving, though, across state lines? So one of the things that I thought was really interesting, gentlemen, the top five fastest-growing states, Idaho, Arizona— Nevada, Utah, and Tejas, Texas. So those top five states, right, all west and south, and the uh, slowest growing state, and by slowest growing, they actually declined in population, was New Jersey. And also California just declined their growth rate for the first time in over 100 years. So I think the great sort that uh, we're talking about in terms of not only career change, obviously geographically as well, people are getting up and moving to different locations. Uh, so I'm not sure what you guys think the implications are as it relates to employees and workforces and, and where companies are actually going to be based. Yeah, I'll, I'll jump in here. I mean, the future of work seems flexible, right? You have Coinbase, which is arguably the most innovative, com or innovative company in the most innovative space, has just closed their HQ in San Francisco. Like, what does that mean? Does that mean that the, the future is like you can work anywhere, get anything done, and we're fine as long as you just get your work done. You don't even have to work eight hours a day. And I think that's something to an earlier point, what we realized in, in remote work, I don't have to work eight hours a day at a desk. I can literally do maybe two and a half hours, take a break, come back, do two and a half hours, maybe work later that night. And so I think what this net net means is like, hey, we can move anywhere in the country and still be productive, which means for like tech startups and other other companies, you now democratize the opportunity for di diverse people who are in places that you're not headquartered in to come work at your company. And I think it's it's cool. And to your point earlier, JL, about just like folks having to be pushed into um, using technology or being scrappy, I think hopefully 
folks don't get left behind here. So I hope that there is technology and there's opportunities and there's initiatives that have pushed to help the folks who can't get up to speed on the technology to be taken care of. But I do think that this helps spur like an industrial revolution, if you will, right? All of these folks who thought they had to work at a desk for eight hours a day now have multiple side hustles or now potentially they got laid off and now they're hustling and starting their own thing. So I hope that there's a, a positive chip on folks' shoulders to really jumpstart uh, the U.S. And again, if everyone's going to be remote and kind of like to disperse across the U.S., and that means that there's a lot more cities that are going to come up. In California, man, with the taxes and all the stuff that they've been doing from like a legislation standpoint, I'm not surprised at all. Um, I'm excited for folks that are going to Austin. I'm excited for folks who are going to Miami. Uh, very surprising to hear all the individuals from Idaho. I'm not sure where they're coming from. I, I'm curious where people are moving from to go to Idaho. <laughs> but uh, these are exciting times, man. I think to to close up on my side, if you have the inkling to do something for yourself or to do something unprecedented, you should do it during unprecedented times <laughs> because you, you, you never know what can happen and what can stick. So I think if you're going to take risks right now or at least put risk capital to work, guys, it's it's time to do it. This like right now is the time to do it. One of the things that I I want to riff on on this, it's it's all so fascinating. So I, I I've quipped a couple of times that I think at its core, venture capital and investing is really the study of change. And so as the three of us working in fast growth, fast change industries from a variety of sides, founding and funding, we are naturally tuned to look at what changes. And then on the flip side, we're also asked to say, what does not change? So when I look at what is not changing, or rather what I actually think maybe the second wave of the fight to redefine how information technology can redefine our society, it is going to be those industries that have historically actually had good reason to not go remote. So that's one of the things that I always think about. Um, I think I, I think you guys kind of know it's one of my favorite topics, but I always wonder how education and healthcare are going to adjust in these spaces. Health uh, Education specifically, right? People move for schools. Uh, people you know want to buy single family homes in nice suburbs so they can go to the right schools. And specifically, I also think about how does the funding for that work? Right. So if you have a tax base that says that, hey, we're only living here, uh, you know, it's kind of like the, the, the snowbird phenomenon at extremes. If you have only old retired people, it's stereotype. I apologize, Florida. I've lived in Florida. I love Florida. Um, but if you only have old retired people who live in Florida who decide that we don't want to pay for the school systems here because all of our kids are going to school up in New York and we've retired here, what does that create? Oh, well, by the way, it seems like from my understanding, then the state actually has to come and step in, right? So Florida does have some really strong state schools, but that's at the university level. I don't really know at the high school level what people do slash, to be honest, I think people privatize. So even if you take education as an example, I, I believe healthcare is actually doing relatively better with telehealth. I've heard from my friends who work in healthcare that we've been able to pass telehealth uh, legislation that previously would have taken 10 to 15 years in five years to two years. Uh, and that's incredible, right? It's, it's, it's reducing that commute time for everyone. It's increasing access. A lot of people don't actually know that doctors um, are very well represented in some of the key metro areas, but lower income areas and more rural areas really struggle to keep talent there. I, I've heard of some doctors who maybe spend like three to four days like in some very uh, 
important communities, and then they fly back to the metro centers where they have their lives. And that to me is just sounds like a colossal uh, strain to place both on the communities and on the individuals there. So um, of the things that come to mind for sure, healthcare, very excited to see how that transforms. Uh, education, very, very, very curious to see how that transforms. I'm curious, just kind of off the bat, do you do the two of you with um, kind of our extended network of friends who work in a variety of professions, are there other kind of large industries that you can think of that have really been uh, stubborn against it? I, I, one last one I'll throw in, but I, I haven't really thought too much about this. I don't know how military contracts and military spending goes, right? So what happens when you now no longer have to be only in the DMV area, as an example, right? Um, and so I'm curious if, if there's any other industries that come to mind for the two of you. The way that I think about this, and I've kind of seen it uh, fall, is, is very much sequentially, almost like dominoes. There's kind of a very much uh, give and take effect. So let's start with, if you just look at the Fortune 500, what type of companies those tend to be, and they're very um, tech and consumer electronic heavy right now, currently, based on where we are. Those companies have adopted a very progressive hybrid work remote uh, policies. And so those uh, employee populations, I would say, were the first movers to start to take advantage of this hybrid remote work, decentralized workforce. Those are the folks I would suspect are probably the ones um, moving or have already moved. The next wave, though, Muhan, is what I would consider your more traditional institutions, whether that is Wall Street or whether that's Ford Automotive or General Motors, that they are going to have to adopt to this new paradigm, either by creating regional hubs where folks are moving out of Detroit, New York City to other cities to uh, live and work in a more hybrid way, or whether they, um, you know, mandate kind of a five days per week work in the office lifestyle and policy, and then folks are going to self opt in or out if they want to participate in that. The reason I start with that context is because once you study the movement of people and what where those populations are going, then you can start to see the trickle down effects. And it's very clearly going to affect real estate, both residential real estate and commercial real estate. I think the U.S. downtown uh, you know, city centers across this country are going to see a revolution and a remaking over the next 20 years like we haven't seen in about 100 years since the early 1900s. There's going to be a cascading effect of large office buildings, large commercial real estate that no longer is being used as much as it used to. We work as a company may not have thrived in the manner in which it was expected to with its blown, you know, blown out valuation, but we work the model is absolutely here to stay of a hybrid, more flexible workforce that only goes into the office one to two days a week. So we need to completely reimagine the city center. So what does that do, Muhan? Well, that impacts not only commercial real estate, but residential real estate. What does it mean to have a downtown uh, residential complex? Does it always have to be tiny apartments or can we build parks on top of buildings? Can we have new innovations, right? What does that do to education if you have a bunch of children that now live in some of these city centers, as Brandon was talking about, cities that predominantly didn't have maybe the best downtown metro area? Um, what happens to the tax base? And then I'll end with politically. I think politics is always a lagging indicator of where the country is. There's a very long feedback loop in terms of what people's opinions are, and that being expressed not only in politicians and elections, but in policies. And I think you are going to see a lot of friction. I don't. It's not going to be an easy transition. I think there's going to be a lot of friction over the next decade in particular. We just had the census. Some states gained seats, some states lost seats. You have a lot of net inflows and outflows to states like Texas, California, New York, etc. A lot of purple states that, you know, 
on the surface have a lot of folks that are moving from blue states there but at the same time there's going to be a lot of resistance to changing and there's a there's a common phrase don't california my austin right like people don't want people the reason they like texas and austin is because it is that purple mentality they don't want it to become the next california so a long way of saying i think throughout all of those we're going to see a cascading impact and we won't know the true impact of the pandemic and covid at least for you know i mean you'll start to see some cracks over the next three to five years but i think decades from now is when you'll truly be able to see the impact that this past year has had. Wow. You coming out there with the bars and, and thinking about the future. I, I totally agree net net on real estate and how a lot of the things that are happening today, you just, you can't know until the next kind of like decade or so from this, but we'll, we'll remember this. I mean, we still might not even be understanding all the um, remnants that came from the financial crisis of 2008. Right. And so all these things start to compound uh, down the line. Uh, so another thing I think it would be cool to hear from uh, the other folks on the on the podcast is just like what was what was a part of that decision making for potentially staying or moving. Uh, so I can start with mine first of moving from the amazing uh, Brooklyn right next to the Barclays Center to Cleveland downtown Cleveland. So from my standpoint, I think like my goal was to move back to Cleveland sometime 2030. I thought that Harlem Capital was going to have multiple VC funds. I thought we were going to have exits and I was going to be coming in here on a magic carpet, just like return home LeBron style. Uh, obviously, that didn't happen. Uh, COVID really kind of fast tracked and we talked about it before, like life stage, affordability, closer to family, et cetera. And so, and then also of the 23 investments that we have done at, uh, out at our first fund, four out of Midwest and two of those four are like really starting to rip right now. So I saw an opportunity. I saw an opportunity to move to Cleveland. Uh, I knew that like if I was downtown, I potentially could build my own house. So like that customization and personalization that Muhan spoke about. And now it's just crazy, man. I haven't been here for 12 years. I'm a tourist in my own city because uh, they've built so much in terms of just like the the um, the lakefront, which is crazy. I live 10 minutes away from a beach and I live in downtown Cleveland. Like it's hard to it's hard to tell people that people don't believe that. And then also cut my expenses by 50 percent. And I think with cutting those expenses by 50 percent, having a personalization, being closer to family, uh, everything being extremely affordable from a lifestyle standpoint, I'm happier. Right. So like not not only do I save money, I'm net net happier. And and then lastly, I get a chance to put some of that capital that I made or that I saved, if you will, as risk capital. So now I'm able to invest in my financial future for not only myself, but my children and my children's children. So I'm now able to start to focus on generational wealth, which I think is is rare to do before you die. <laughs> for a lot of folks, like not everyone gets a chance to write a will and actually give something away. Um, I'm not sure if my mom's going to be able to do that for me, right? So me to be able to do that in my 30s is just blowing me away. And then just to sell people in Ohio really quickly before I hand it off to the rest of the folks. Um, from Ohio standpoint, 27 of the Fortune 500 are headquartered here. We're two hours away uh, from 60% of the country via air. Uh, so I'm really pumped about that. Multiple unicorns in the last few years. Uh, you have your folks like Root Insurance, Olive, Cover My Meds. Um, not only Ohio State, where I went to school, but you have stuff like Case Western Reserve and 
other folks from an engineering standpoint. And then I think there's a, a great opportunity here for second HQs or thirds or fourths or fifths, because uh, I'm not sure if everyone knows here on the pod, but JP Morgan has their largest presence period is in Columbus, Ohio, which is just crazy. Like their building is second largest only to the Pentagon, <laughs> the JP Morgan uh, building in, in Columbus. So there's, there's a lot of opportunity, a lot of things going on. Um, and then just from a Cleveland standpoint, like I'm just two hours driving as well from everywhere, Pittsburgh, Columbus, Chicago, uh, five hours, Indianapolis, Detroit, et cetera. And right now what I'm working on is just figuring out if I can find more boomerangs, more folks to kind of come back to the Midwest or come back to Cleveland and take their talents and their experience and really help rejuvenate the city. And being a part of a city, I think, uh, of changing a city for the better is amazing. It's almost like being a part of a company, changing it for the better, or being a part of a you know a community or a movement. So pretty pumped about that, but curious of other folks of what was your decision to kind of stay or move? Well, I've got to say, I can't have a conversation about promoting Ohio without throwing in some Ohio facts in there as well, too. I mean, I, I have to yes, say sir. those in the pod that uh, don't know, I'm also... Born and raised in Ohio, born in Columbus, lived outside of Akron, Cleveland for a long period of time. Shout out to St. Edward High School in Lakewood, Ohio. Go Eagles. What I will say, interesting enough, Ohio, home to more U.S. presidents than any other state, tied with Virginia, and also home to more, uh, a home of more U.S. astronauts than any other state. Shout out to, uh, I believe it was Neil Armstrong. Oh, shoot, I should, I should look that up. <laughs> I didn't expect well, to say that. Well, we got John Glenn, NASA. John Glenn, so. there you go. John Glenn as well, for sure. And <laughs> Neil, tip, I believe. Tip. Um, but but what I will say is states like Ohio, and I'll, trans- I'll tra- use this as a transition to you, Muhan, folks are, I think, it is a badge of honor now to kind of go out on a limb and go to new cities, to your point, Brandon, where you can be a force for good and a force for change. And I think the external environment is primed and ready for those types of individuals to go to a Cleveland, to a Kansas City, to a Nashville, to a Boise, Idaho, Salt Lake City, America's second and third quote-unquote tiered cities, and to create a technological and industrial revolution based on the talent and the ecosystem around them, right? So I totally believe that now's the time to do that. I also think, and Muhan, I'm curious to, to get your reaction and how you thought about this as part of your own personal transition. We've talked about in the pod today a lot of externalities in terms of the impact the pandemic has had on the world around us. Brandon, you hit on something very important that I think the three of us have thought a lot about, but that's internal happiness. What have I realized about myself the past year and a half that makes my personal happiness, my productivity in all senses of the world, work productivity, relationship, parental uh, productivity, and I think there's a great rebalance and opportunity for people to reflect on that. And those that are able to act on that reflection really are going to emerge from the pandemic ahead. So, Muhan, what did you reflect on? What did you learn about yourself? And, and where does that lead you in terms of your personal and physical location moving forward? Absolutely. I mean, guys, um, certainly the, the last year and a half has just been so much reflection um, for all parties, for myself. Um, I actually don't know if you guys know, knew this, but before I worked for Yang here in New York, I was in Miami, Florida. 
So I joke all the time that me and my VFA Miami cohort were early on Miami, uh, which in VC means we're wrong, but in life just means we're early. <laughs> um, so certainly I have a lot of love for the city. And I'm glad that uh, to see it now kind of evolve as this crypto capital is insane. Related to that story, uh, I actually just realized this. I thought I'd share it um, as, a, as a way to frame it. The company I worked for before actually was called Open English. And uh, Open English is the largest educator of English language learning in all of Latin America. So it, the company was actually founded by uh, Venezuelan founders, came to America, incorporated to raise venture capital, did their thing, and then it just scaled all throughout Latin America. That's actually a very uh, Miami, but also in many ways, I think American story about how people move to America, incorporate here, take advantage of the things, and then scale a service for an entire continent. And so I remember working in Miami, being able to call my mom or my dad on Eastern Standard Time, but then essentially being in the Caribbean. I mean, geographically, Miami is uh, much more Caribbean than it is, you know, closer to Boston or New York. And so working with my colleagues in Colombia, in uh, Argentina, in Chile, and then really having this interest to go and say like, wow, I'm working with these individuals. We're making money and we're selling English classes to Latin America. I would love to actually meet these people. I would love to meet these colleagues. So I, between... Uh, open English and moving to New York to work for Yang, I actually took a month and a half to go to Latin America to the different offices and meet these colleagues that I had in person. And that was extremely, I mean, truly, it was it was challenging. You know, my Spanish is like fine for not dying, but it's mostly embarrassing, just enough to embarrass myself. But it was so gratifying to meet these individuals who I'd only known as avatars behind a computer screen. And for me, when I was transitioning from, Yang, so kind of round two, after finishing with Yang in February of last year, uh, in March of last year, and then now entering this pandemic, there was a really strong drive to say, okay, I clearly enjoy this form of autonomy. Um, there's so much, and, and that's the thing, we talk about things that change and things that don't change, but in many ways, geographies and the cultures that emerge from those geographies, those also don't change as well. There's so much, right? You can have the people who leave Cleveland, but they bring a part of Cleveland with them wherever they go. Same thing with Ohio. And um, for me, at least at this life stage right now, I remember the keen desire to be able to experience that, to be able to explore that, even in, in a smaller period of time, um, was very, very high. So currently, it's it's a little bit intimidating, but my current plan is actually to not renew my lease at the end of June. Um, I'll probably be spending summer here in New York through kind of short-term leases, figuring out that, you know, people have said, oh, it's a great time to be renting in New York or whatever have you. But then really to arbitrage geography and say like, okay, have I wanted to go spend some time back with my friends back in Miami? Have I wanted to spend some time actually in the Midwest uh, because I have friends and colleagues? Um, and, uh, and then to spend some time, say, in California and all these things that bring me and expand my worldview and experiences so that I can be a better, whether reader, investor, entrepreneur. Um, that's really how I thought about it. And, and I'll say this, it's intimidating for me, but in many ways it has also reduced intimidation in that I think it's it's a very broad trend to what we were saying earlier for a lot of individuals who want to experiment with this geographically remote digital nomad lifestyle, however you want to call it, that um, that now is the perfect time to do it because there's no expectations for how you're going to live your life, um, so to speak, the COVID sort. Um, the chips have not fallen yet on how that sort ends. Totally agree, Muhan. Um, quick aside, while you were speaking, I looked it up. Neil Armstrong was born in Ohio, so OH for the win. Um, more importantly, though, that social connection, understanding the person behind the avatar, as you describe it, that not only is that going to go away, I think that desire is going to increase. And 
you know, I, we all have personal stories over the last year and a half in terms of interacting with folks, maybe it's employees that we've worked with now for over a year, we've never met them. Investments we've made or investors we've received money from, never met them, right? Business partners, new ventures. So there is a strong appetite, and I think it's biological in nature with, with humans to be social and to connect. And that's why for me, you know, part of my decision-making framework and why I am moving to Austin, Texas is because I wanted a geographic and cultural change. I love Boston. I've lived here for about a decade. But, you know, as I turn my eye towards the venture world and towards space investments, there's no one singular geographic location like Silicon Valley that replicates space talent in the ecosystem. But the space triangle in Texas between Austin, Houston, and Boca Chica down in Brownsville at the border of Texas and Mexico, where SpaceX launches the rockets, that's about as strategic as you can get unless you're going to live on Cape Canaveral in Florida or Los Angeles. And so for me, I wanted that hybrid lifestyle that kind of takes advantages of what you're both saying, right? The, if you take, make $100,000 in San Francisco, that lifestyle you can replicate in Austin, Texas for $52,000, right? But similarly, I still want that social connection where I can meet folks that are strategic for me um, in the space community, right? Part of the reason, if you look back at history, one of the things I think is so fascinating, I'm a history nerd, for the past 350 years, we have basically have gone from living in, on farms and in rural communities to the cities all across the, the world in the global landscape. It, it has accelerated in the UK and the US and certain Western countries first, but, but that has certainly been the pattern across the world. The past two years though, not to say that it is redirected in the opposite direction, but it's paused that for a moment in time where people wanna move where they can have a little bit more space, higher quality of life. But I, I firmly believe that that draw towards the city is not because people like the woke coffee culture or they love living in cramped apartments, that is because naturally, if you live with other people in cities, whether it's a tier one or a tier two city, you bump into more people, you make more friends, you get included in more deals, there's more spontaneous interaction. And so for me, that's why I'm moving to Austin. It's a quality of life uh, decision. It's a being close to an ecosystem that I want to grow my network in and continue to be impactful. But also, you know, be a part of something new. It's a, it's a slightly different part of something new than what Brandon is describing in terms of, you know, Brandon is going to be a force in Cleveland. He already is in terms of being a central driver for change for that city. I won't have that same impact in Austin, but I want to be one of the early movers and adopters to take advantage of what has happened over the last decade with Elon Musk moving to Austin, Texas, Joe Rogan moving there. Rumor has it Jason Calacanis is moving there. They just launched an MLS team for the first time this year. So even though there's been a long transition of companies moving headquarters to Austin, it's still very early on. And so I, I, want, I like to be able to take advantage of that. So that's kind of my personal decision-making framework, but certainly I'll have to... Uh, uh, wear the sunscreen, boys, because uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna handle the heat. I can't fathom the summers down there. It's gonna be a lot hotter than <laughs> I'm used to, but uh, that'll be an adjustment for sure. Awesome, man. That's that's super cool to hear, and, and I'm glad that we now have a place to stay when we're down in Austin and uh, pumped for the next South by Southwest whenever they're gonna open that up. <laughs> uh, well, cool, man. We can probably jump into winners, losers, and content of the week. I'll go with the first one. Uh, I I always do this, but I have two winners. Winner number one, Cleveland for having the NFL draft. That was super great. Uh, shout out to us for being able to take that. And it's super excited for Cleveland to have an all-star game next year. Uh, and then second winner, I'm not sure who is the actual winner yet, but Elon Musk being on 
uh, Saturday Night Live. We're taping on Saturday, so we haven't seen it yet. I'm sure net net things are going to happen positively, and this is going to change the way that uh, entrepreneurs and tech startups and even potentially cryptocurrency altcoins will be perceived in the media. So really pumped about that. Losers, I, I think still any communities that are hurt by police violence. Uh, so I, unfortunately they're losing, but I think we need to definitely kind of stand up and, and uh, lock arms for the folks who have suffered from police violence or even just like any of these uh, kind of racial injustices over the past uh, few months. And then lastly, uh, I have, I guess I have two contents. Uh, content number one, best real estate uh, YouTuber ever, um, Inez Yilmeiser. We'll include it in the Substack. I'll include the link to it in the Substack because this guy's real estate um, YouTube is super awesome. And then another thing I'll include in the Substack was um, there was a podcast talking about ETH going to 150,000 by 2023. So, I'll include both of those in the Substack. Uh, I forgot to send it to the other host. It just came out yesterday, so don't worry about it. <laughs> uh, but that's it on my side. If ETH goes to $150,000, not only will I move back to Cleveland with you, Brandon, I'll buy Cleveland. How about that? <laughs> we, we will buy Cleveland. <laughs> yes, yes, touche, the three, the three of us, absolutely. The coal consoles <laughs> of Cleveland, I love it, wow. All right. Well, happy to go next. Um, kind of unsurprisingly, but for a different take, winner, definitely Elon Musk. I think his uh, entry into SNL is going to be super fun, but kind of really coasting off of the fact that one of my readers is a engineer at SpaceX and they just successfully landed their SN15 rocket and it totally landed. It was perfect. No mistakes. Like really the guy's just riding in uh, on wins on wins. So really happy for Elon. Um, I think he's going to have a lot of fun. Very curious to see which crypto he pumps up. For me, loser of the week um, is definitely ad tech. Uh, ad tech has just been slowly um, getting beaten down. But to say that in some ways, ad tech is the loser. The, the people are the winner. We're, we are now uh, becoming more aware of how big corporations are monetizing, selling our data. And so you're seeing, say, Spotify and Apple Music start to offer uh, direct payments. And even Twitter, actually, this week was the first time I saw that you could literally tweet someone uh, for just like a, a tip jar for someone's Twitter account. Um, and so I think that's a really healthy way for the ecosystem to work. There's definitely limitations to that. Not everybody can afford to directly support the artists that they want to do, uh, that they want to support. But even then, if you cut out the intermediaries of the media companies to say, like, can there be a more uh, pure form of subsidizing and patronizing the arts? Um, I think that that's definitely the way that things are going. And really, to bring the uh, content train in for me, uh, I read this thread by Ryan Caldbeck. Uh, we'll link it into the show notes afterwards. But for me, I thought it was a really great uh, expression what Brandon so aptly and perfectly described it as the rat race, where Caldbeck uh, really uses the words and the language of those who enforce the rat race to show that actually even in the logic of that rat race, kind of committing to optionality, which we're defining as doing things that don't really establish a strong identity, but compensate you really well for it. If you continue to choose those options time and time again, you're actually 
abstaining from developing a strong career defined by your values or the type of impact that you want to have. And I just thought it was a very, very, it's much more convincing than my normally uh, normal fiery <laughs> um, sermons to young undergrads. So I encourage anyone in that kind of a mindset, certainly on theme with what we said about doing the thing, whatever that thing is as soon as possible um, and very on brand with that notion. Muhan, you and I are on the same page. I'm, I'm thinking very similar in terms of my winner of the week. I had SpaceX and the Starship launch as well. Instead of talking about what happened, maybe I'll talk about why this is important for the space industry. The entire space industry, our ability to succeed is based on cheap, accessible, reliable access to space through launch providers like a SpaceX, Blue Origin, Rocket Lab, etc. Starship is the biggest by far actual vessel, actual rocket that has the payload capacity to dramatically decrease costs in the industry. So if you think about the cost to launch a satellite, to bring a person to space, to put in space manufacturing uh, capsules in space, all of that depends on having larger and larger rockets that can more frequently and cheaply get to space in a predictable, safe, consistent manner. Starship is the future of that. And so them landing, not only launching, which they've done multiple times, but successfully landing it, on the same base, super important for the future of space. Losers this week. Um, this was actually since it, you know it's been two weeks, but it was since the last pod. Uh, Basecamp. Basecamp is a software company that decided to uh, put a controversial new policy in place, banning political conversation at the company. Uh, as a reaction to that, over one third of their employees have since left. I think this is just. Another example of how corporate America and certainly all of us in our social lives still grapple with political discussions, misinformation, and uh, I don't think the way to uh, you know succeed here is for companies to ban uh, free speech. That does not seem like a, a winning uh, formula. So uh, losers are certainly uh, Basecamp employees, winners maybe being Basecamp former employees. And lastly, this is my favorite content of the week that I've recommended to you guys yet. Literary recommendation coming hot and heavy, Matthew McConaughey's Green Lights. All right, all right, all right. It's an amazing collection of short stories that Matthew McConaughey shares, and it's this, it, he tells it in a way of talking about life lessons, uh, his time in Australia, his adventures through Africa, things that I never knew about Matthew McConaughey outside of him growing up and living in Austin, Texas currently. So I would definitely recommend you listen to the audiobook version now that I've listened to it. Um, I couldn't fathom just reading it as, as a book and missing out on all his incredible accents and just the way he storytells. So um, Matthew McConaughey, Green Lights, uh, is the short story of the week, or of the uh, content of the week, rather. Yeah, and just to, to, to end that off, I mean, hopefully you get a chance to get connected with Matthew McConaughey since you guys are going to be in the same backyard. And one thing I forgot to say around content is the Bill and Melinda Gates breakup memes. <laughs> Those memes were that's honorable mention content for the week. Like these memes of like Jeff Bezos and uh, and Bill Gates going to live or going to the club and like buying bottles and doing all this other stuff is, um, bro, it's just super hilarious. So, but anyways, I think regardless, everyone in those situations are net net winners. They get to live their best lives. They have more than enough capital, and they get to just do their own thing. And they, and and we don't have to be a part of it. <laughs> Totally agree. I was I was surprised and sad to see them break up, but most importantly, I think as long as they keep their philanthropic and foundation going, 
um, you know, they, they can choose to live their lives however. But I always appreciate a good Twitter meme, uh, especially when it's something uh, topical and it relates to technology. I couldn't agree more. So, well, guys, that's it. That is all from us today. Uh, thanks for tuning in uh, to another episode of First Money in Podcast. Please remember to give us a follow on Spotify. And this week, if you haven't already, share us with a friend or two. And we'll see you on the next pod.